Hello and welcome to Fidelity Connects, a Fidelity Investments Canada podcast, connecting you to the world of investing and helping you stay ahead. North American markets have continued their turbulence of late, and with central banks trying to contain inflation and oil prices falling, market volatility is not out of frame just yet. So, during this period of continued uncertainty, where can investors access downside protection and even potential for some upside with liquid alternatives? Joining us today to offer his insight on today's market landscape and to provide an update for both Fidelity Global Value Long Short Fund and Fidelity Canadian Large Cap Fund is Portfolio Manager Dan DuPont. On today's show with host Pamela Ritchie, Dan shares that downside protection continues to be a main feature of his process, believing this provides the opportunity to outperform as compounding can happen from higher levels. Also today, Dan looks at oil companies, the macro picture, shares his thoughts on the overall economy and recession fears, and the state of U.S. companies versus global. Stay tuned for all of this and more. Today's podcast was recorded on September 27th, 2022. The views and opinions expressed on this podcast are those of the participants and do not necessarily reflect those of Fidelity Investments Canada ULC or its affiliates. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be construed as investment, tax, or legal advice. It is not an offer to sell or buy or an endorsement, recommendation, or sponsorship of any entity or security cited. Read a fund's prospectus before investing. Funds are not guaranteed. Their values change frequently and past performance may not be repeated. Fees, expenses, and commissions are all associated with fund investments. So there's so many moving parts to the markets right now, but the overall sort of concern is ultimately where where you go to hide. It's sort of that question right now. Where where do people hide? Let's talk a little bit about how your style provides a capture of the downside, because this really feels like a difficult time for many of those in the equity markets right now. How do you balance that out in your style? Well, my style has never changed. It was a little bit less in favor for a few years. It's the beauty of Fidelity. We have a lot of different styles and you can get forgotten for a few years and you keep grinding, you keep your head down, you work hard. And with Canadian Large Cap Fund, for example, there's never been a negative calendar year, but for a few years, there was a lot of shiny objects out there uh, with more growthy titles. And that was that was fine. It was where the, the performance was. And now it does feel like there's a lot of um, uh, headwinds the growth side, and there's certainly a lot more tailwinds in a process that focuses more on capital preservation. So right now, it does feel like the economy is slowing down. It's not substantial yet because balance sheets of individuals and corporations have been enhanced significantly during the pandemic through monetary and fiscal stimulus. But now that's being reversed aggressively mostly on the monetary side. On the fiscal side, eventually it might have to be, as we saw with the, the pound, the British pound was just uh, became super volatile two days ago as the market is finally telling governments that's enough. Can't really cut taxes more in certain instances. So we'll see how that evolves. But for sure, um, individuals' balance sheets are still very good, but credit card balances are going up rapidly. So interest rates going up and the economy you know, slowing down um, incrementally every month shows that people are just they're trying to keep the spending the, the level they, that it was but it's tough so credit card balances are going up and interest rates going up is certainly grinding things down everywhere and mostly in, in capital markets we can see it there's giant losses being taken on um, on investment banks balance sheets as they can't find buyers for the debt of private equity deals 
So these are the first signs of things getting worse. Um, it, you know, they still have the balance sheet capacity for now, but warehousing of loans on balance sheets is what happened in 07, 08, when things were getting a little worse. So we're seeing signs. Um, I don't know how bad it'll get. It'll be a slowdown or tough recession. You know, we've had 12 years of the NASDAQ going up. Uh, we haven't had really a recession that created bankruptcies in 12, 13 years. So we certainly mm -hmm. do for one. It would be, I think, good for everyone and everything to have a slight cleansing process because we've had money, we've had interest rates at zero for 12, 13 years. So, you know, science projects were, uh, we call it science projects, which are companies which have, don't have even a, uh, a wish of ever, you know, uh, making right. money ever. They're, those are gonna go away slowly and we're certainly making money on the short side, uh, shorting some of those, some more aggressively than others. But yeah, so it does feel like it's not there yet. I mean, there's no bank, individual bankruptcies or corporate bankruptcies that are close yet, but we're seeing the first signs. Let's go to the long short fund as well. You mentioned large cap off the top. How how give us a sense actually of your positioning on the long short. I think you just mentioned a few there, the science project side of things. Are there other yeah. other parts of the market that are of interest for you in that fund? Yeah, so that's evolved quite significantly since last year, although there are pockets that are similar. So for example, software was a place where I'd say historically, you have to be careful shorting that or not owning it because high cash flowing business, not a lot of debt, high return on capital business. So if you are high return on capital, if you can find one that's growing rapidly, has a nice niche, you could probably do, you know, make money and have a tough time shorting, but they got so expensive, 80, 90 times sales. We all remember Scott McNeely's quote, 2002 that said, you know, if you, how, what were you thinking? You paid 10 times sales for my, my stock and here, all the things that needed to go right for that to be a, a price that's correct. So we made money on the short side in software, for example, and we're pretty much not there anymore. We're not, not long yet. I've looked at a few that were attractive, almost pulled the trigger, but definitely not there on the short side in North America. Okay. I'm still short one in Australia. I was short one in the Netherlands, but um, it, it, you know, in general software, the, the short trade is pretty much done and you might start looking on the long side. And you know, you goes, for example, is really good at looking at software names that are really depressed in valuation. So it's starting to get more interesting. The it's clean tech. Get... Yeah, okay, perfect. I was gonna ask you about so, energy. So, mm -hmm. Yeah, so well, two sides to energy, right? So clean tech, yep. the environmental, transition that's been interesting to watch and it's still because of the inflation reduction act there's a, like the second wave of overvaluation in what i call clean tech which is you know transition and fuel so more something more that. renewable just explain that so, a little um, bit so last year we saw them get you know yeah. just really bid up and then kind of the air came yeah. out of that so it did it did come out with kind of the, that bubble and like the same with software names, the low interest rates really, you know, inflated that part of the market. There was, de there was demand also from the transition to funds that were more environmentally friendly. So it was stronger in Europe, but it was also strong in North America. But certainly there's a lot of pressure for money managers to go into more in an environmentally friendly way. And that pushed these valuations up significantly. That include, includes, you know, electric cars. It includes manufacturers of equipment for solar and wind energy uh, or even you know wind and solar energy companies and and that deflated uh, with interest rates going up and with this you know science project 
uh, overvaluation, uh, you know, deflating, but with the uh, Inflation Reduction Act, it gave, a, it gave a second wind. So those came back up. So there's a lot of, in my view, opportunity to short there. There's just massive overvaluation. Electric cars, still a little bit of, of opportunity there. It's less than it was. There's more and more opportunity for me on the short side with companies that are just structured. The balance sheet is badly structured uh, and or they're going into this slowdown and recession just, just in a bad badly structured and badly positioned. And it's been 13 years, so people don't remember how bad it can get. So you can short a stock that is eight, 10 times earnings that looks you know, optically cheap, but that will get decimated in a recession. The easiest ones are the ones that are new industries. So uh, one that I've been short for a while, so I can talk about, but a Carvana, for example, which is involved in um, financing of car sales car. online, so yeah, used cars, and, and they used to securitize that, but into, I mean, history does not repeat, but it certainly rhymes. And so people, the companies that were involved in packaging mortgages in, in 07, 08, eventually blew up as they started uh, warehousing those loans on their own balance sheet because they couldn't refinance them. Well, look, Carvana now has a tough time ref, uh, refinancing and, and packaging the loan, the car loans. So it's it's warehousing them on its own balance sheet. I mean, it's just... You couldn't make this up. It's the exact same thing in a different industry, right? So as this is happening, I think ultimately we're seeing the financing they're doing on their balance sheet with, with some of the Wall Street players that are not mainstream banks, but you know, hedge funds, for example, are financing them. And it's clear from if you if you read the fine print, you know, that the odds that they end up owning the equity is very, very high. So that's just one example out there of uh, of, of areas where we can take advantage of a situation. Because we have now like the ability with the long short fund, we also have the ability, analytical ability through our fixed income department. I and mean, we don't, you don't talk to fixed income when times are good. I haven't spoken to That's fixed right. income in 10 years. <laughs> and about six about months that. ago, I, you know, yeah. I'd say, Hey, you remember me? And we started doing a lot of work. And on Carvana, we spent a lot of, a lot of time analyzing that one. And there's, there's a whole bunch of them out there as well. I mean, a firm, same thing, buy now, pay later. It was very popular. Sure, sure, Maybe it still sure. is. Yeah, it's still popular. People are using them more and more. But it's uh, again, it's a new industry. They're lending a thousand, two thousand dollars to people through you know short-term payments. You can buy something in six installments. You know, every two, you pay every two weeks for three months, for example. But there's no uh, there's no recourse. So they're I mean, everybody should right. you know sign up and borrow two thousand dollars from these companies because they're it doesn't go for the most part it doesn't go on your credit rating. And they have no recourse. So the, the odds that some of these companies go to zero are very, very high. So it, these are the, still the very attractive ones. I'm trying to diversify when I'm short, obviously. But it's certainly, you can feel it. You can see it in the numbers. And uh, it all taken together, to me, tells me that the odds of a recession are just going up and up. So to, and maybe, I mean, some parts of the world are already in it. We don't, we don't really know. I just want to go back to energy for a second because you were speaking a little bit about so alternative energies is coming along quickly. Lots of innovation, really interesting space. What about oil itself? We've obviously seen prices come down. We know that many will say that's been peak oil. But you look even further out and it's still, there are question marks, aren't there, on the supply side? Yeah, oil is an industry I spent a lot of time in uh, in 2020 because it was so cheap. and It, it was zero. Really Remember the ETF went to zero. Yeah. 
Yep. I made it a very large bet in Canadian large cap fund. And we were looking at it every day just to make sure that the thesis was correct. And it ended up being correct. At this point, uh, I feel based on our analysis, I feel like it's, I really shouldn't be shorting oil. Gas is just, it's again, it changes every day. So I couldn't tell you where I was last week and next week. It's just uh, Europe is evolving every day. There's new information coming today. But in general, supply demand is still interesting to me. So I'm still long some pure oil companies and Canadian large cap fund, despite the fact that I think a recession is coming. It's not a huge position, but the cash flow ability, generating ability is so gigantic that I don't, it's going to, it's tough for me to see a short thesis. And uh, so we, we own a little bit and, and in a long short fund as well. Uh, I own some on the long side and we may have made money here and there on the short side with specific ideas, but in general, I still think it's dangerous to be short oil. Going back to your process for finding shorts, and I think you gave a great example just a couple of minutes ago, but but can you oh. sort of give us the broader case for, for how you go about looking for ideas and the process that you use? Okay. So if I can just take a step back to explain the fun in 20 seconds. It's a um, 150-50. That's the maximum you can go, 150% long, 50% short. So let's say if I'm kind of aggressively positioned, I would be long 130% and short 40% of net asset value. And then the net long would be the difference between the two. So 130 minus 40 would be net long 90. So pretty close to typical fund. The short book, 40% of net asset value would be split half-half between arbitrage and outright shorts. So the outright shorts is, uh, we've, we've made a decent amount of money there. About 60% of our alpha has been in that short book year to date, for example. And that would be, you know, the affirms and the Carvanas, for example. Now, the, the arbitrage, that's very low volatility. It's a transaction where company A is buying company B and there's a tiny spread between the two. And we're going to make a little bit of money before the, um, before the transaction closes. So, you know, the, the biggest volatility in the fund comes from that 20% of net asset value where we have outright shorts. And that would include things like Tesla, for example, that we've been short for, for a long time now. You know, I'm not going to go into specific, uh, that specific name uh, because it's a very controversial one and it's not like an overwhelming position either. But generally, I try to have a few buckets. So be well diversified in the short book so that the volatility doesn't swing us around too much. I learned my lessons. Uh, I really thought like I knew what I was doing when I started that fund in, in the fall of 2020. And then Q1 of 2021 arrived and there was a lot of volatility, the meme stocks and all that. So I, I went from a novice to being, you know, basically an MMA fighter in the ring. Um, I, it was just uh, the last lessons were learned there. And now I feel like I really know exactly everything, every move that's coming and I'm ready for anything. That's I'm really so interesting because, I mean, some of the sell-offs that we see, depending on the day, and as you say, everything seems to change every day right now, but there there are some broad base swings. So how how do you work with the volatility, actually? I mean, it can be across yeah. the sectors. Yeah, great question. So I can adjust the size of that short book a little bit. So if you take around mid-June, where everything was going down and everything felt too easy, the size of that short book went down. So I went down to close to 15% of net asset value that was outright shorts. And those were my highest convictions. And I made them even smaller weights than they were a month or two before. And then when everything rebounded, we had we covered things in mid-June that went up 20, 25% in a matter of two, three weeks. 
So you reanalyze them quickly, you know them well, you wonder why did they bounce? And if nothing changed, it was just a relief rally and, a, and an expectation of a Fed pivot. You discount that, you look at it, you and, and you analyze all of it, and, and eventually you might just reshort the same name that you were short before. So the, the short book will move with the fluctuations in the market. And since the start of this fund, the beta of the fund has been negative on average, which is really a, a very weird environment. And it's not it's not my expectation that it will be for a long time. Ultimately, what this fund will become is something like Canadian large cap fund, which is lower volatility than an equity benchmark, but hopefully better performance than the benchmark over time. So Canadian large cap fund, since I've been on, on the fund, it's been the same process where I try to have much lower volatility than the market, but try to outperform. So we've had effectively a uh, balanced fund volatility in this in this product. The main feature of the process that I follow is it's a downside capture, which tends to be very low, which gives us then the opportunity to outperform as we compound from a higher level. If you correct way less than the market, it gives you first the ability to stay invested because you, it's much less stressful, but two, mostly, you can compound faster by reinvesting when you have those dips and um, that's that's my job. I'm here for this, which is a lot easier when you don't have a direct client. On days when the market's down four or five percent, I have nobody to talk about other than my analysts and or calling one or two companies. But I can reinvest with confidence and and with being aggressive uh, and being decisive because I've been patient before, which is exactly what happened in, in March of 2020. And so sometimes it's difficult to be that patient, but ultimately when the opportunities come very rapidly, you can aggressively deploy that cash. You know, when the Kustard rumored happened two years ago, it was very easy. I'd been patient on the name. I knew exactly where I wanted to get in there. And then it dropped massively. What, what rumor are you talking about? Oh, they were, they were rumored to buy something in France, which the market oh, yeah. hated. You know, it was kind of uh, warranted that, that reaction, but probably it was overdone a little bit, but it was somewhat warranted. And so, you know, we're up since then, I don't know, 50 or plus percent on that particular position. And we haven't touched a share of it. It's just, you just sit on it. But there's not a lot of trades, but they can be quite bulky. And we can zig when the market is zagging. And that's what we've done in Canadian Large Cap Fund. That's what I intend to do with, with this long short fund as well. But it gives us more opportunities because you can short as well. And you can position with more or less volatility, depending on how many opportunities you have on the short side. But the short side has been just, it's been fish in a barrel, honestly. The problem last fall in the short book was not finding out what the short, what the difficult part was managing volatility because you knew some, some of these stocks were 10 times overpriced. It, they were just super volatile. So you needed to size your position appropriately. And even at Carvana, for example, even if you truly believe it is going asymptotically to zero at some point, it did double uh, at some point last month or the month before. Yeah. So you have to Why size things appropriately way. and you have to be really smart about the way you approach things. So the more time I spend on, on the short uh, on the short book and managing this product, the more um, familiar I become with all the movements that are possible and how to structure it. And we have an internal risk management team as well, which has been really, really helpful. From a macro perspective, I mean, walking into say this year, were you thinking, okay, there are going to be rate hikes? I mean, in January, many, many thought they were overdue even then, but they got going in March, as we know. Did you kind of walk into the year thinking, well, this is the year where liquidity comes out of the market and it's going to be, I mean, how, how did you, 
did you know this was all going to happen, Dan? Or, you know, I've, I've been at this for over two decades. So, I mean, like I'm more and more humble the more time goes by. And so at the beginning of the year, I didn't really know what was going to happen. I try to be positioned to not get hurt too much. That's the first thing. You can't paint yourself in a corner. Inflation was was higher than I thought. Let's be honest. I think it was higher than a lot of people thought. And so at this point, you know, you just have to adjust to the data that's coming in. That's what I did at the beginning of the year. And that's what I'm going to keep doing. Once inflation started to perk up, then, yeah, we obviously interest rates were going to go up and the Fed was definitely behind the curve. And you, there was a, a decent chance they were going to be more aggressive than they need to be just to show that they, they finally have what it takes to tame inflation. I don't want inflation to be uh, unanchored. And so at this point now, again, you know, we have to decide where we are and what, what's going to happen. Interest rates, mostly on the long end, certainly seem pretty high. You look at the 10-year, the 20-year, relative to the amount of debt that's outstanding everywhere, governments and corporates. Well, that's the thing. The it, governments it are going to get. High. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, I'm not a fixed income expert, but it does, it, you know, if, if people were out of bonds completely at some point, it certainly does feel like it, it might be time to put the toe in the water back. Because from my vintage point, you know, when I, I do a lot of arbitrage and arbitrage returns have increased significantly, because if you if you invest in an arbitrage deal that's going to close in six months, your alternative that has a little bit less risk would be to buy a six month government bond. So it's always a spread relative to government bonds, and those have gone up quite significantly. So the spreads on arbitrage have gone up quite significantly, making arbitrage investing more interesting. You balance that with stocks going down. So on you know on days when the market just been down for a few weeks, you finally realize, okay, yes, I have a higher spread on an arbitrage deal, but it's much more interesting to to swing back the other way. So last Friday, for example. It was kind of the best of all worlds in, in some of these short position, in some of these arbitrage positions, because a lot of them are in U.S. dollars. So the Canadian dollar was coming down, 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 down. So you know, in Canadian dollars, you made a lot of money shorting, um, um, owning an arbitrage deal that was getting close to um, to, to the end day of uh, of the closing of the transaction. Spreads are getting really tight as you get close to the transaction. So on Friday, if you owned an arbitrage deal, you were able to sell it. Which we did, for example, in um, some of my funds, with a, a you know a 0 0.05 or 0.1 percent spread, a gigantic amount to a U.S. bank that knows there's practically no risk there. Then you turn around, and that was in U.S. dollars, right? So in Canadian dollars, you were even if you gave the the bank a spread of 0.1 percent, you were still up half percent. And it's all complicated, but and then you, no, you but turn around and you buy something that's down five percent on the day, like a great company that you were just patiently waiting to get to your price. So you just zig when the market is zagging, I guess is what I'm saying, and I'll keep doing that. And the size of the short book will keep moving up and down when I talk about targeted shorts. And if I find less targeted shorts, there's less opportunity there, we'll go more into arbitrage. And then the long book, it's a, around 65% of net asset value is invested in typical long stocks, stocks that are high quality, that were cheap enough when I bought them that I want to own the long term. And that's going to go up and up and up and up. So tell us um, what, what you think is priced into the market. You know, could earnings be a catalyst for getting things priced into the market? So that there's a question of that. But I guess all of those questions sort of with the overall question of 
the downside capture, it's hard to know what comes next, but earnings is one question rolling in. What, what do you think yes. of this earnings season? Well, earnings is kind of the question really, as usual. So in the medium to long term, what you have to think about is where are profit margins going? Profit margins in the US have been really high. There's more higher quality companies in the US market than elsewhere. So probably part of that is warranted, probably not all of it. So the thinking has to be, where do I go once we have a recession? Where do I wanna do the homework? And for me, it might hit my target prices a little bit quicker in some parts of Europe. And even you look at emerging markets, but I want to be patient. Can I you go lessons. there, Dan, like globally? Yeah. Can you, I mean, can emerging you? markets, it's, it has to be really, really attractive for me to go there. It's mostly a developed market fund in uh, global value long short. And Canadian large cap fund is a large cap product. So I typically don't go in emerging markets. But I'd say in developed markets, the U.S. has outperformed the rest of the world massively over the last 10 years. And at some point, some of that is going to come back. And it's a question of when and how much and where do you want to position? And I want to be very, I want to do it gently. I want to do it slowly. But I do know that, and I can see that there's some really attractive valuations. And for now, we have some positions there, but it's hurting us uh, slightly on the performance side, also slightly on, on the currency side. So I've, you know, I've learned to respect momentum. I'm not going to go one direction and aggressively into Europe and, and Asia, but I think it's certainly one way to look. And global funds for the next 10 years, if we look at history, should have a pretty good performance relative to the U.S. Although on a stock by stock basis, sometimes you look for stocks That's globally and, and you always end up back in the U.S. because the higher quality one is in the U.S. So what about within a, act. within a sector? Sorry, to, I just have a minute to ask you this question. Within yeah. the sectors, the sort of discrepancies between, well, between companies ultimately within the same sector. I mean, th this seems like a very... Interesting moment. Yes. Can you comment? Sometimes it's easy. You're correct. Sometimes the, the uh, internationally based company will be in the same industry, will have the same kind of global footprint, and it will be cheaper. So that's one hint to us that you know glo going global is is probably not a bad idea at this point. It's been really painful though. I can't can't talk against that. It's we've lost some basis points owning European based companies just on the currency or the UK. In the UK, you know, is volatile like an emerging market currency uh, a little earlier this week. So it's being careful. It's it's balancing things and it's, you know, pouncing when something is really cheap enough. And I think we're getting closer to a moment where you should probably probably tilt to global. Fascinating. OK, Dan Dupont, it's been amazing to speak with you. Thank you for joining us. And we look forward to catching up with you soon. It's been my pleasure. Thanks, Pam. Thanks for joining us. I'm Pamela Ritchie. Thanks for listening to the Fidelity Connects podcast. If you haven't done so already, please subscribe to Fidelity Connects on your podcast platform of choice. And if you like what you're hearing, leave a review or a five-star rating. Fidelity mutual funds and ETFs are available by working with a financial advisor or through an online brokerage account. Visit fidelity.ca slash how to buy for more information. While visiting fidelity.ca, you can also find information on future live webcasts. And don't forget to follow Fidelity Canada on Twitter and LinkedIn. Thanks again. See you next time.